Hey, everybody, it's Terry McDougall with another great episode of Marketing Mambo. My guest today is Dr. Ann Shuffleberger. She is somebody that I have known since I was in college. And as one high achiever to another, we get each other. And we also are here to talk about not only the positives, but also sometimes some of the pitfalls of what happens with overachievers and how sometimes dissatisfaction with people's careers can really come from the fact that they are always striving to receive external validation. Now, Anne spent her entire career in public school education, so she understands very well what motivates students to learn. And uh, I recently had a conversation with her, and I realized that she would be the perfect guest to shed some light on what motivates us both personally and professionally. So I think you're really going to enjoy Anne. She's a wonderful person. She's super smart, and she's got great insights into what makes people of all ages tick. So now, without further ado, let the Mambo begin. Welcome to Marketing Mambo with your host, Terry McDougall. It's the fun and fast podcast where we cha-cha-chat with marketing movers and shakers from around the globe. Hey, everybody. It's Terry McDougall with another episode of Marketing Mambo, and I am so excited today to welcome our guest. She is somebody that I have known since I was 18 years old. I met her on my freshman hall at the College of William & Mary. Her name is Dr. Ann Shufflebarger, and she spent 35 years as a professional in public education. She recently retired as an elementary school principal, and I'm bringing Ann on today because I think that there are a lot of reasons why many top-performing professionals are hard on themselves. And we'll delve into that a little bit more with somebody who is a seasoned professional in childhood learning. So good to see you. How are you today? Hi, Terry. I'm excited to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me to be on Marketing Mambo. So I just kind of scratched the surface of what you've done recently, but I would love it if you would go into a little bit more depth about what you've done professionally since graduating from William & Mary. Well, thanks, Terry. I started out as a first grade teacher and did that for several years and really enjoyed seeing children learn to read. That was such a pivotal age for learning how to read and making that work. And so I decided to go back to William & Mary and work on my master's degree to learn more about the process of teaching children to read. Why is it that some children take off and do so well? Why do others not? And so I became a reading specialist after that job, working with children who were having difficulty and also coaching teachers into being more effective literacy instructors. I then had the opportunity to work in a very specialized program where we worked one-on-one -on -one with the most struggling readers in the school. And that came along with some very intensive training. It was kind of the coolest thing because in all of my teacher preparation, nothing taught me more than this. We actually would go into a room 
with a group of teachers on one side of a one-way mirror, observing a teacher teaching a student behind that glass. And we would be guided in looking for certain things. Our leader would ask us questions. We would learn from their teaching. And it was a very analytical and intense process. And then the person who was teaching got feedback. It was amazing. And that was some of my most powerful learning. From there, I went on to work in central office doing program development for literacy programs, coaching and teaching new teachers, overseeing literacy programs and remediation programs for the division. And finally, I decided it was time to go out and put my leadership to work in a school. And so I spent the last 10 years working as a building level administrator in several different elementary schools, assistant principal and principal. And that was the greatest job because you really got to work with students and teachers in the community. And it was a lot of coaching as well, a lot of coaching and learning. Well, you and I were recently together at a friend's son's wedding, and we got talking about something that I've written about in my book, which is some research that I came across by a professor at Harvard Business School named Tom DeLong. Tom has studied high achievers, and a hypothesis that he has is that high achievers are addicted to external validation. And you and I were recently talking about this, and I believe it really goes back to kindergarten when we get that first gold star on our paper where we start to notice and care about what other people think of us and Once we start getting rewarded for doing what others expect, it can become addicting. So as somebody who has a doctorate in education and who has spent many, many years in the classroom and even as a reading specialist, I would love to get your two cents on this. So I feel like when we were having that conversation about getting the validation from external sources, I could see that in students that I've taught, in teachers that I've worked with, and in lots of folks along the way. So that was a fun conversation, and I I love being here to talk about it further. Yeah, part of the reason why I wanted to have you on is because I worked in corporate for 30 plus years, and I coach people who work in the corporate world. And I think that a lot of the obstacles and challenges that people have often go back to things that they learned in early childhood education. And you're somebody who has studied what it means for children to learn and how they learn. And when we were talking in the conversation that sparked this interview today, it was really about the idea of rewards to encourage certain behavior. And I think that that's a good thing. And I I know for myself and probably for you and many other high achievers that are listening to this, we're proud of ourselves that we developed that discipline and that inner drive to be goal-oriented and to have the discipline to do things. But at some point, we don't necessarily get that external validation that we're even going in the right direction. And a lot of times I find that people can feel lost when maybe people aren't paying as much attention to them as they rise within the corporate world. And you probably see it as people rise within administration and the educational system that things aren't quite as clear cut and it can get kind of scary about what to do next. And sometimes people get lost there. So I'd love to get your observations on this and maybe draw it back to how children learn and if people do get stuck 
why you think that might be. All right. Well, I think you were definitely on target when you say we're all shaped that moment we get the first gold star. And you see as early as preschool and kindergarten, you see that there are children who are absolute pleasers, right? They will do anything to get that gold star, that praise, that smile from the teacher. That's the most important thing to them. And then there are some students that that just doesn't matter. They're going to do their thing. And as an educator, kind of have to find this balance. It's really easy to validate those pleasers and to get them to do what you want them to do. But ultimately, it comes down to, are you making them dependent on you when all you're doing is giving rewards? Because as an educator, teaching for independence is one of the most important things you can do. And it's hard because we're hardwired to be positive people, to say, great job, you're doing wonderfully. Here's a good good start. Oh, I'm calling your mom. But we really have to stop, take a step back and think about what are we praising and how are we praising? And that you can use that positive feedback to teach them to be independent. One of the most important ways to do that is to teach the students to self-monitor and self-assess their own work. Because if they're constantly coming up, is this right? How'd I do? Is this okay? They're really looking for the gold star. Well, they might care about if it's right, but they're not owning that. So simple little tricks a teacher would use would be to avoid comments or expressions telling a student if they're right or not, but put it back on them. So when a kid comes up, hey, is this right? Well, take a look. What do you think? Mm -hmm. You know, put it back on the student to evaluate themselves. Because ultimately, from a student perspective or from a work-life perspective, it's what you think that's most important, right? You you do want to do a good job and meet the standards. but You've got to learn to evaluate yourself. So as a teacher, you've got to teach those kids to self-monitor and to look at what they've done. And if they get stuck, to not swoop in and fix it for them, right? Mm -hmm. I, I see that in so many children or adult workers, well, teachers and others staff members want you to come in and fix everything when they've got the power to do that within themselves. It's kind of mm-hmm. Wizard of Oz, doesn't it? They've got the power. It's all inside. But but then rather than fixing it for them, okay, I can see you're stuck. What do you think your next step could be? Or what tools do you have to help you work through this next step? Mm-hmm. Giving that kind of feedback takes a little bit longer, right? It's a lot easier to say, yeah. oh, go do this. Yeah. But it is worthwhile because the children start to see themselves as problem solvers, as capable folks who can do it without the teacher being a part of it all the time. The other part of that is to encourage students to reflect upon their work, to self-evaluate, not just, oh, I did a good job. I did a good job. Why? What were the things? Was it the way you worked at it? Was it the product? There are a lot of different things you can teach the children to learn to evaluate. So they're not relying on that gold star anymore they know, hey, I did a good job and here's why. And another key factor in there is the type of feedback we give. So feedback, I think for adults and for children too, has to be as specific as possible to be meaningful. I could just say, oh, good job. You're great. The person doesn't know what they did to get Mm -hmm. that. But when you can give very specific feedback, wow, I like the way you drew a model to solve that math problem. Did that help you work it through? Then the child's going to know that's something worth doing again, not just this ambiguous praise of, whoo, good job. It also helps other kids around know what was effective and why that worked. So I think the the idea of specific feedback is hugely important. You know, we didn't get into this in our conversation, but, but here's a thing. In education today, one of the buzzwords is student agency. And really, that's all about student ownership of what they're doing. And I really think that's a huge workplace success skill, too. 
because we want our teachers to have agency. If I were in a corporate world, I would want my employees to have agency. It's that knowledge of this is what I'm doing. This is how I achieve it. And I feel confident in my role in doing that. A huge part of that is also having that growth mindset, right? That I'm not fixed. This is who I am and I can never change. But we start early on teaching students. You can practice, you can do better, you can learn and how to own that. So having that growth mindset is another huge factor of agency. That's great. As you were talking, you're absolutely right that agency, it's important in the workplace too. And certainly I've worked with leaders who have struggled with people on their teams who just need so much validation that it's very difficult for them to do a project that has a lot of tasks associated with it because they want validation at every step. Okay, am I doing the right thing? Okay, what what should I do next? And obviously, that can be very labor intensive for somebody who doesn't have a lot of time as a leader. You mentioned that some kids are very tuned in to wanting to please the authority figure to get that validation. And a lot of times there can be anxiety when they don't get it. And it it sounds like how you've addressed this as an educator is to focus on coaching so that they sort of internalize that judgment of their own work to look and understand like, oh, well, I believe that I did a good job and here's why. When you think about people who get that, and I'm not talking necessarily about students, but maybe people who have made it all the way through school and they're still really focused on those people-pleasing tendencies, what do you think needs to be done in those situations, whether it's them recognizing it themselves or maybe their supervisor? And it might be just the same thing as what you're seeing in the elementary schools in terms of how you're coaching teachers or the teachers are coaching the students. But love to hear your thoughts on that. You know, it's after school, right? Because we're working hard to build those attributes and build those agencies early on. And not every child is successful with that. And I know a lot of people coming into the workforce who don't have those skills. And the question is, is it something that can be learned later in life? It's an important workplace skill. It almost has to be. But you talked about the role as a supervisor, manager, leader of folks, that was always something that I had to work on coaching in my teachers. If they were kind of fixed and looking for certain types of validation, sometimes those individual conversations, coaching sessions to help me get a little more insight into what they were thinking, and then look at what kind of rewards would make them feel appreciated and work a little bit harder. I think that's important too. And I'm not sure that you can get it and change everybody, but I do think think that leaders who coach and develop their staff are going to bring that on. It's something I always look for as I interview teachers, right? Because I want staff that see themselves as problem solvers and innovators and willing to to go out on a limb and do things without validation. Yeah, Um, there's a couple things that come to mind around this. And you mentioned something earlier that aligns with a model that I use a lot in coaching, which is called the support challenge matrix, meaning that you want to try to get support and challenge in the right balance. I'll just describe what the tool looks like. If you have support on one axis and challenge on the other axis, what you end up with with is a four-quadrant model, which the bottom left quadrant is low support, low challenge, basically. And unfortunately, probably, <laughs> I can think about some teachers that I had in school that were 
in the low support, low challenge, that they were just checked out. They would just sit at their desk and read the newspaper and the inmates were running the asylum in, in, in terms of that. But I'm sure many can think of bosses that they've had where it was the same kind of thing. But if you move up where there's high support, low challenge, a lot of times that ends up where the teacher or the supervisor is stepping in and they're not allowing the student or the employee to struggle at all. And so really the student or the employee starts to feel entitled. Like they, they're like, oh, well, why should I have to do any work? Like you're here to save me. As soon as I start to struggle a little bit, you know, I'll go to you and you'll fix it for me. And a lot of times what I see in the corporate world is bosses who say, oh, it's just quicker for me to do it. It's just quicker for me to do it. And it's like, okay, well, you're not challenging that person. So they're never going to learn. And you're always going to be dipping down below your level of authority to do things that's going to impact the success of the organization. And those people are never going to learn. If you go all the way to the bottom right-hand quadrant where there's high challenge and low support, you get dominating kind of people, right? Like the boss who comes in and yells and dumps a lot of stuff on people without educating them or showing them how to do it. And people can feel very overwhelmed in a situation like that. And a lot of times they'll stop even trying because they just feel like they're never going to be able to meet the expectations. And then in the upper right-hand quadrant, you've got the appropriate amount of challenge and the appropriate amount of support. And I actually like to think of this as a parent, when you think about your little kindergartner going off to the first day of kindergarten and getting on the bus with their little backpack, you're not loading that backpack up with a lot because the kid weighs like 40 pounds, right? Like you're not going to put tons of stuff in there. But as they grow, they can carry more in their backpack. But you have to pay attention to that and not when they're 15, not be like, oh, you've got to have this tiny Hello Kitty backpack, right? They're big enough and strong enough to carry more at that point, but you've got to pay attention and continue to challenge as you're supporting, as you're helping them. So yeah, that's super interesting. And I kind of went so far out on the limb explaining this, but I'd just like to stop and say, how do you react to that? That's fascinating, Terry. I was not familiar with that model, but as I listened to you talk about it, it makes so much sense. And I do see applications at the school level, at the employer level as well, because a big part of agency is that managing your own learning. And if you don't have the right level of support and challenge, you're not going to be motivated to do that. Right. I think inherent in that whole four quadrant system is some motivation aspects for children and adults, because you have to feel like you're capable of meeting that challenge and that you're interested in making steps forward. And that's how you get success because it is something you're going to learn over time. But if you want your folks to continue to grow, whether they're children or adults, you've got to support them in the right way and moving them forward. So I think that the model makes a lot of sense in a lot of realms. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I've observed with a lot of people that I work with is that, you know, it's funny because a lot of times whenever they'll come to me to work with me as a coach that they'll say, oh my gosh, I'm just working so many hours and I'm so stressed out and I just don't see how I can get off this hamster wheel. It just keeps going faster and faster. And a lot of times they are providing too much support to their staff. 
And like I said, they're doing that thing like, oh, it's just quicker for me to do it rather than stepping back and, and giving some feedback to their employees so their employee can go back and try it again. And I use this analogy of the forest ranger in the middle of the forest up in the, the fire watch tower where they can see the whole forest and maybe they see that, oh, there's a fire that started over in this quadrant. And rather than them calling the people that are on the ground and saying, go over to the northwest quadrant and put that fire out, they rush down from the tower and go do it themselves. And then what happens is that they are no longer able to observe what's going on in the entire situation because they're now granted, I will say that sometimes if it's an absolute crisis, yes, you have to do that. But if there's just a campfire over there, you can send somebody there to fix it. You can stay at your level and you can direct them. And that actually is a better way to do it because that means that you're strengthening the people under you, whether that's your students, whether that's the people on your team. And the stronger that they are, the more that you're able to stay at that high level and observe what's going on and decide, okay, well, who needs more support? Who needs more challenge? But if you lose that perspective, and then that's when you get caught up in that hamster wheel that just keeps going faster and faster and faster. That's a good analogy. And then if you're constantly doing it yourself, your team members aren't learning. They're never going to grow and get better at what they're doing. And that just builds stagnation. So, Mm -hmm. okay. So one of the things that I think is kind of interesting is this whole idea of grades. And I think that they do things a little bit differently now than they used to in terms of not getting grades in elementary school. But I think that sometimes people get so fixated on grades or this idea that they've gotten the gold, gold star, they've gotten the check plus plus or three smiley faces on their paper, that they're really going for that validation rather than focusing on what's their progress towards learning. So I'd love for you to talk a bit about that. Okay, well, in my former school division, we did away with grades at the elementary level. And what we looked at was proficiency. It's called standards-based grading, where we're looking at how children do on mastering a particular standard. So what you're going for is proficiency. I've earned a P, a proficient, because I've mastered the skill. And it might take some students longer and others will get it more quickly. There is an opportunity to get a higher grade, an AP, advanced proficient. But that really means that you've not only learned the the standard, you're able to adapt it and apply it and use it in new ways, which you don't equate that with an A, right? That just Mm -hmm. shows that you really got fluidity with that standard. Mm -hmm. And one of the most important things I think we do with kids is to put them in charge of their own learning, to help them understand, hey, here's our goal today. Here's what we're learning. How do you see that you're doing? Where do you see going? Kind of put them in charge of the path and in Mm -hmm. charge of evaluating it themselves so that ultimately it's not about what the teacher gives them. It's them seeing that they can achieve that. They're the owners of their learning Mm -hmm. and they're not going to care as much about what the grade is because they know, oh man, I was having a really hard time with this two-digit multiplication, but I tried this model and it worked and I feel like I can do it now. And Mm -hmm. they didn't need the teacher to do that. And with every bit of success in owning the process builds more success because the child has more confidence. And Mm -hmm. I think confidence is a big part of it. But having them 
become the owners and managers of their own learning is hugely important in the workplace too, right? If you yeah. if you know what the task is and know what your strengths are and what help you're going to need and have your plan to get there, you're going to get successful along the way. So it's important yeah. for adults and children. Yeah, what you said reminded me of the saying, which I love. I actually had this tacked up at my desk for many years, which is confidence is the expectation of a positive outcome. And when teachers or supervisors or parents can help whoever it is that they're mentoring or teaching have that growth mindset, recognize that it's not black or white, that we're all progressing forward in time and in learning and in knowledge, that if we expect there to be a positive outcome, we're going to approach it with more energy. Okay. So Terry, I almost laughed at myself because I felt like I should ask you how I'm doing. Am I giving you the information that you wanted? But then I thought, wow, that's kind of like me wanting to go for the gold star, isn't it? (laughs) But one of the factors that we haven't really talked about that I think plays in the role, and it kind of goes to me wanting to know how I'm doing is I'm a really confident educator in working with schools and kids and that environment. But I've never done a podcast before. I'm really good at talking to you. We do that frequently, but <laughs> I, I don't know in this new realm of your podcast how this all works. And so I'm curious if I'm giving you the right kind of information. And I made the comparison that's not unlike our students. They need to know what the task holds, right? They mm-hmm. need to have a model for what success looks like. They need to have an idea of what it needs to look like. And that's part of the mentoring and teaching cycle too, is mm-hmm. this is what it should look like. And this is the expectation. And you give scaffolding and support along the way, mm-hmm. but in the workplace too, you need that model. You need to know what's expected so that you can make the steps and rise to get there. And I think the more you know about the expectation and and the standards, the more confidence you have in moving forward, adult, child alike. So yeah, you know, I'm I'm not going to ask for the gold star, but (laughs) well, you're going to get a gold star. Okay. (laughs) I mean, here we are two William and Mary graduates. I think the bottom line is that we are high achievers. And yes, we want to go for the gold. But I think that it's important to have kind of a balance of understanding what's expected, but also understanding that ultimately it's up to us to decide what our own personal goals are and how much we're going to buy into somebody else's expectations versus getting clear on our own goals and deciding how much we're going to allow that to guide us. If you're a student in school or if you're working in the workplace, I mean, you're probably not going to be super successful if you don't pay attention at all to what's expected of you. But everybody has things that they have to balance. And you might not be able to 100% meet the expectations because maybe you have other things going on. You know, one thing that I wanted to touch on with you is how to teach resiliency. Because I think that in the workplace or in school, when we're challenging ourselves or when we're being challenged, it's inevitable that we're sometimes going to fail. And how do you encourage students or even when you were a principal, how did you encourage teachers to bounce back from stumbling sometimes? You know, I think it's important at whatever age or where you are in life to embrace failure as a positive experience. Because without failure, how are you going to learn? How are you going to grow? And we 
work with elementary students and learning that, that, okay, you didn't get it right. No big deal, right? That didn't work out right. So Mm -hmm. what do we do? Let's take a look. What did you do that went well? What would be one thing you'd do differently? All right, let's try again. Isn't that really what learning is all about? Mm -hmm. Um, Fear of failure can be paralyzing. So Mm -hmm. teaching the mindset that failure is expected and it's not a devastating thing. And that's how you learn and move forward is critical. Think about pro athletes or any athlete. They're going to fail an awful lot to get to the level where they are in whatever sport it would be. And I think sometimes the kids that are hardest to teach are the ones that everything comes so easily to that they rarely get anything wrong and they tend to have the biggest meltdowns. But Mm -hmm. if you can take that and approach from the mind, it's a safe environment. Failure is okay, but we're going to mm-hmm. take it, learn from it, and move on. And we used to have to work with our families to help them understand that kind of mindset as well. Mm-hmm. And I can think of all kinds of carryovers into being a leader of teachers that it's okay to try things out. And even if they don't go well, yeah, I, I've even told teachers, I always used to give them at the beginning of the year, my equivalent of a get out of jail free card. It was a get out of my room, please card. So that if I went in to observe and I spent a lot of time in classrooms, giving feedback to teachers. But if I was in there and things weren't going well, I wanted them to feel safe to say, go away. You know, this Mm -hmm. isn't the time Mm -hmm. to be watching me. And that was huge Mm -hmm. in helping them know that it's okay to take a risk. And But more often than not, they'd say, hey, no, stay. And, you know, I could give them feedback on how they work through it. Or sometimes Mm -hmm. they'd ask me to jump in and help, but you don't learn without failure. So you just have to embrace Mm -hmm. it. Yeah, that brings to mind two sayings that are related to that. One is fail stands for first attempt in learning. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> the other one is even when you're falling on your face, at least you're moving forward. <laughs> Because sometimes it's not pretty. Sometimes when we are progressing, it's not graceful. It's not easy, but we get stronger when we have to struggle. And I could totally relate with that whole idea of when things come easily to people, sometimes when they come up against adversity or when they have to push a little bit harder, that sometimes they're a little bit lost. And before I hit record, I was recounting to you the story about somebody that we both knew in college who was a campus leader. She was Phi Beta Kappa, and she took a graduate school entrance exam senior year, and she did not ace it, which she was used to doing, and ended up actually dropping out of school the last semester of college, taking a semester off. She did come back and graduate, but she was so overwhelmed by the fact that she didn't do it perfectly because she was so used to that. And you know, for some of us, I definitely wasn't Phi Beta Kappa. <laughs> so I had to had to learn and I never really got C's in, in high school, but I did get some C's in college and I had to had to accept myself even when I wasn't doing things perfectly. And for some, that can be really difficult. And learning to accept yourself and to pick yourself up once you've stumbled is a really, really important skill to learn. I totally agree with you. One of the 
hardest things to overcome in working with children. And it's a very common characteristic for students who are identified as gifted children is that perfectionism. And I know Mm -hmm. a lot of successful adults and a lot of high achieving kids that get caught up in that cycle of perfectionism, which breeds a lot of anxiety and can lead to those massive meltdowns. Because if you're looking to be perfect every moment of the day and getting that constant perfect feedback, you live in fear of having that fall apart. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's a lot easier to embrace making mistakes along the way and learning to live with failure. But some people really struggle with that. And that may be the research you were citing earlier about that oftentimes high achieving professionals are going for that external feedback. There's some perfectionism Mm -hmm. tied into that. Yeah. Although they most successful people have learned to manage it or to moderate it in some way. Well, as a coach, I work with people that are successful, but not satisfied. And what I mean by that is when you look at them from the outside, they seem to have all of the trappings of success. But when they kind of let their hair down behind closed doors, they're paying a really high price for it in terms of super high expectations for themselves stress, anxiety, burnout. And because they are high achievers, they've figured out how to balance things. But as they move up and there's more and more expected, it's hard for them to let go of that feeling of having to be perfect and really judge themselves so harshly. And so much energy goes into observing themselves and saying, oh, am I doing this perfectly? That it really takes energy away from them actually focusing on the task at hand. And it it does get to a breaking point with many people. And it's important to start to pull out those subconscious beliefs about what's expected of them and to replace those beliefs with something that's a little bit healthier in terms of hey, I'm doing the best I can. And that's good enough. If I make a mistake, I'll do my best to fix it. I mean, these are things that it's really more about accepting yourself rather than standing outside of yourself and judging yourself. I mean, that's super harsh. And it is really stressful. Well, Anne, I'd like to start wrapping it up right now. It's always wonderful to talk to you. (laughs) You're so accomplished and such an expert in this area. It's been an honor to have you as a guest. You've been such a great friend for so many years, but I've really admired the way that you have led your career and how you've continued to move up. And clearly, you're such an expert in the whole area of early childhood education. And when we were having that conversation a couple of weeks ago, it just occurred to me that there's so many parallels of teaching children and how adults continue to learn in the workplace and even looping into how you instill confidence in children and how we can instill confidence in ourselves or in people that might be on our teams in the corporate world. So as I always do, I'd like to ask you, what last words of wisdom do you have for our Marketing Mambo listeners? Well, Terry, thanks for having me on board. This was a lot of fun. I do also always enjoy talking with you. In terms of words of wisdom, I think one of the things that I see as a parallel through the whole discussion, whether through a workplace environment, a school environment, is the power of language and feedback and how important it is to consider what you're saying and how you're reacting to a person. Because ultimately, your response as a teacher, as a parent, as a business leader can have a huge impact. 
watching the facial features, watch what you say so that you don't make them feel a failure or that you don't give the blanket phrase, but to give specific meaningful feedback. Hey, I like the way you did that or to probe with questions is one of the most powerful things you can do to keep people feeling like they have that internal locus of control that they can move forward in doing that. So that was my overarching thought about our conversation. Well, I felt like that was very wise because to your point, you're putting the impetus on that person. We talked a bit earlier about the support challenge matrix, and this is about providing both support and challenge to your point, like giving some feedback, but also probing and and getting curious about, okay, well, why did you do it this way? So that you can give more impactful feedback and not just swoop in and grab a project away from somebody or give them the answer. And maybe they don't even understand why that was the answer. Well, Anne, it's been such a pleasure to have you on today. I know that you've just recently retired just within the last month or two. What's on the horizon for you? You know, Terry, I'm still exploring what options are out there. I have been focusing on relaxation and traveling. I've been traveling the world a little bit and enjoying that. As I settle down from that, I know I am still going to be working in the field of education on a more part-time basis. And I'm still exploring options for what that might be. But I'm looking forward to some different things in the future. Well, I'm sure that you'll find lots of opportunities to use your expertise and long experience in the world of education to continue you benefiting the school systems and, and students. If anybody listening would like to get in touch with Anne, then you can send her an email through the email that will be in the show notes. So Anne, thanks so much. It was such a pleasure to have you on today. Well, thank you, Terry. It was great fun talking with you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Mambo. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, like, and share. I'd love to hear from you. Check out the show notes for my social media and contact information. Until next time, adios.